I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. For most of you, it's just an ordinary Monday. Back to work, miserable, you know, you're sitting inside an office, beautiful weather outside. And then you turn on the radio. And the hope is that you either learn something, get moved by something, react to something uh, with great emotion, or have one of those aha moments. If I told you that this was the 30th anniversary of Full Metal Jacket, you would say, no effing way it's been 30 years. Yes, it right? has been. No, it has been. Because over those 30 years, times. some people age well, some people don't. <laughs> I'm of the latter. But someone who's aged very well is my main man, Matthew Modine. Who we, I don't remember having him in that, studio. That's how you lighten up the guests I remember right before we had, you start singing them. I remember we had an issue about bicycles years in the back, but I don't remember what it was. But Matthew, it's Boomer and Craig. How you been, buddy? I've been very good, thank you. Uh, you, you you're a the, very brave man wearing that Knicks hat right now. Listen, you can't leave your team You ever, can't leave your team, Unless no. it's the Mets, and you jump yeah. on the Yankees yeah. bandwagon in a minute. Yeah. You're a big Knicks fan. You go to a lot of the games. Yeah, it's, I feel like I've been bleeding now since uh, Allen Houston was playing for the Knicks. Uh. It, it, by the way, the Allen Houston contract is what started the whole downfall of our beloved franchise. Yeah, but you know, the Allen really Houston did. contract, he deserved it, and then he got hurt. What, he what, got hurt, what yeah. are you going to do? They I mean, even that's gave just him an out to have the exemption, and they didn't take mm-hmm. it more. Yeah. How much do you hate Phil Jackson, not as a person, but as a president of our beloved Knicks? I don't. I mean, I, hate is such a powerful word. I don't want to use that word, but I, I wish that he'd go meditate and smoke weed someplace else. We call that hate, <laughs> yeah, right? Well said. He probably gets good weed. So, yeah. I mean, let us know where and when, and we can figure out a little kumbaya moment. Yeah. Like, of all the teams that you love, I, 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 mean, I imagine you're a Ranger fan, and I, the yes. Mets or Yankees as a New Yorker. Giants. But it seems like the Knicks are your team. Am I right? Yes. And you go to umpteen games a year. Was there a point this year where you got an offer, hey, Matt, why don't you come to a game, where you said, nah, not today? Well, I've been working in Los Angeles and Atlanta, so I didn't have to even consider uh, the, the. But I did. I did make it to some Ranger games, and that that's always exciting. Yeah, it's have, always exciting because they win. They win yeah. more often than they lose. Uh, are you a Carmelo guy, or do you wish that Carmelo would move on and go uh, somewhere else? I appreciate his game. But I I've never felt that that Carmelo was the right thing that the Knicks needed. You know that what we don't have with the New York Knicks is a uh, a leader. You know we don't have that that person who. Um, you know, if I can use you as an example. Well, how about LeBron James? Or how about, you know, yeah. uh, I could think of a million guys, Steph Curry even, or Kevin Durant, or yeah. any of those guys. Yeah, I mean, the, the, that, the, the way that the Knicks, when I, I, I grew up in Utah, so we had the expansion. We had, here come the stars from Utah. Here right. come the stars. <laughs> we didn't have a hockey team. We didn't have baseball. So when I moved to New York City, it was, it was I, I, you know, it was one of the greatest things that ever happened in my life. What year did you move here? 1979. Would that have be culture shock? Yeah, it was amazing. Right? It was amazing. Because Times Square hadn't really been cleaned up. No, 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 no. And no. you come from Utah. Utah. To yeah. New York City. What, yeah. You came here for, for to, work? To study acting, yeah. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Came here by yourself? Yep. 
How old were you? I was uh, just graduated from high school. I was just 19 years so old. You're... And your parents said, go ahead and oh, go. Your parents must have been like, what they are you doing? They thought I lost my mind. Right. Yeah, you they... just said, I'm, I'm leaving? Yeah. My mom and dad lived in Brooklyn for a long time. Right. And so they knew what, what it was that I was moving to. And... Um, and had you been accepted to like the Lee Strasberg School of Acting, or you just said, a nickel in my pocket, I'll figure it out? I'll figure it out, yeah. Because I knew that if I went to Los Angeles, it wasn't going to happen. There's just something that was, the people that I'd met from New York, it was such a powerful place. There was something here that that uh, they called me. And, and then I, I got a job working in this restaurant, and I heard the waiters talking about uh, Ibsen and Chekhov and Tennessee Williams and Eugene O'Neill. Right. And I realized these that are I, great writers and playwrights, Al, yeah, in case you I, know who they were. That I, I wanted to go into a profession that I, I didn't know anything about. That was the Yankee outfield from the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. Sorry. So, yeah. what was the very first paid job you got as an actor when you moved to New York? I think it was an after school special. Uh, Billy's Amy, got Amy, pimples. Amy and the Angel, which was a remake of, uh, of It's a Wonderful Life with right. Helen, Helen, the girl that played Superwoman, Helen, uh, Helen, no, not Helen Hunt. You're looking at me. I have yeah, no I idea. I can't remember her name. This I was outside fantastic. playing ball. You were, you were doing yeah. your thing. So, I was outside playing so ball. You, so your first role was an after-school special. Yeah. And you had the bug. And yeah. then what was the role that you got discovered on that, that made other people say, yeah. we got to hire this guy? Was it a Broadway thing? Was it a commercial? It was a, it was a film that Robert Altman directed that was a Broadway play that was made into a feature film called Streamers. And we won the, an unprecedented Best Actor Award. They gave it to the principal cast of uh, the Streamers. The whole cast got it? Yeah, yeah, Best Acting And then you're on the, the map, then it's like, F you. Yeah. Then they co- the then offers it, just come flowing in? Then it never stopped, yeah. That's and I've awesome. been I've been really lucky and blessed that well, I Well, I'll tell you what, you, you hit the working. mother load with uh, Full Metal Jacket, though. Yeah, I did indeed. So yeah. I can't believe it's 30. Craig was talking about it. It's amazing, 30 years. I think my son and I have probably watched it 50 times. Yeah. It's, it's a great it's a movie. It's one film. of those movies when it's on. You can't turn it off. I mean, yeah. you just get stuck. How'd you benefit. get that? Uh, that, well, that I was going to say, role. you got to thank if if I re, if I if I read it right, Val Kilmer in some respects, right? In, in some way, Val Kilmer might be responsible because I was in a restaurant. I was having pancakes with this terrific actor named David Allen Greer, of course, he's a comedian, and uh, he. I, I was sitting in this restaurant, and there's a guy looking at me, swearing, saying really obscene things to me, and and I said. David, unless this guy's got Tourette's or he's some actor, you know, studying a monologue, he's clearly telling me where to go and what to right. do. And and he looked over his shoulder. He goes, "Oh, that's Val Kilmer. He's a really nice guy." Now is he is Val messing with you at this time, or was no? He, he was serious? really pissed off. He was. Yeah. So so David <laughs> went over and talked to him, and he waved me over, and and I I said, "Hi, my name's Matthew." He goes, "Yeah, I know who you are. I'm sick of you." And, you know, you'd done Vision Quest and Mrs. Soulful and uh, Birdie, and now you're doing Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket. And I said, look, I don't know you. I, I'm the youngest of seven kids. I've been fighting my whole life. If you have a problem, let's, let's take go. it outside. Yeah. Now, at that point, had you been a part of the the roster for Stanley Kubrick? No, yet? I knew nothing you about knew it. You knew nothing yeah, about you it. You had to send in a videotape audition to Stanley Kubrick, and I hadn't done it, and Val Kilmer clearly had. And so, so, <laughs> so somebody must have told him that you had been involved in some way, but really you yeah. hadn't. No. And so, so I, when I left, I went outside because before cell phones, I put a bunch of quarters in the phone and called my manager. I didn't have an agent then right. in New York. And I said, this guy just told me that I'm doing Full Metal Jacket. Do you know anything about it? He says, no, I don't know anything about it. I said, well, let's call Warner Brothers and have him send Vision Quest. And I'll call Alan Parker in London, who was editing Birdie. Right. And we'll have it sent, sent over to Kubrick. and. And I got the job. I got the Stanley Kubrick mailed the script to my house. I, to this day, I don't know how he found huh. my address. So you, so Val it. Kilmer thought thought you had it, but you didn't have it. No, 
And then because because he said oh, so, you, you went after the phone and said, yeah, I, want, exactly. "I want this." If the rumor was that I got it, I love that. You know what? That, <laughs> I that's better a, go get it. That's yeah. the American dream, right yeah. there, man. That's crazy. So Any idea? Did, did you have? Obviously, did you know about the film prior? to I knew what? about. It. I heard that Anthony Michael Hall was was playing the part because that's Stanley, the urban legend about. Yeah, it. yeah. he wanted all eighteen year olds. That's one of the things that I mean. When I did uh, Memphis Bell. I, I was playing the captain of a B-17 in the Second World War, and it was it was a, a real-life role that my Uncle Wilder had played huh. uh, and received a Purple Heart, which is one of the things I want to talk to you about today. Uh, he had almost his right arm taken off. But um, he said one of the things they always get wrong with these movies is everybody's too damn old. He said, when I was flying the plane, I was 20 years old, and my crew was 17, 18 years old on a, on a B-17. So, so Kubrick said the same thing about full metal, about the Vietnam films is that everybody's always too old that these were, you know, 18 year old kids. Had were, knowing I had no idea, no experience, yeah. no nothing. Right. Thrown in seen, the jungles he'd of seen North Platoon uh, right. as like, Hey, Tom Berenger and those guys, those guys are, great, are too but, old. There's not, yeah. there's not that kind yeah. of experience. Yeah. Now so, it's really, so I, I want to get to your uncle in a second for sure. We're talking to Matthew Modine, it's the 30th anniversary of full metal jacket. It's funny. I always viewed full metal jacket. Really? You know, Billy Joel once said about scenes from an Italian restaurant, that it was two different songs, yeah. and he couldn't finish either one. He just put it together and became this classic. Full Metal Jacket's like that. Yeah. There's the boot camp, yeah. and then there's you know you're in Vietnam War, and they're two completely independent movies. Yeah. Um, so I wonder when you guys did the boot camp part, you know, and the drill sergeant was an actual drill sergeant, yeah. and he was great. When you, I would think people talk about being character actors. Were you guys like in it? In it? During that part of the movie? Yeah, we filmed the movie backward. We, really? we shot the Vietnam sequence and then the boot camp. Huh. And, and Lee Ermey, who plays the drill instructor in the film, um, that's not my phone, yeah, um, uh, the drill instructor in the film was hired as a technical advisor on the film to, to help get all the things authentic. And he carried that script around with him. He said, this role was written for me. And there was another actor named Tim Colcheri, a wonderful actor uh, who was also a Marine, uh, who ended up playing the door gunner who's shooting women and children. I said, how do you shoot right, women and yeah, children? Yeah, yeah, Easy, yeah. you just don't lead them as much. Right. That was the guy that was cast get to play the, play the... Yeah, get some. The guy that was cast to play the drill instructor. And Stanley wanted him auditioning all of the extras that were going to be in the boot camp sequences. And he didn't want to do it because he says, you know, it hurts my throat. I don't want to yell all the time. But we had to audition all these people. So Lee Ermey was always going, I'll do it. Right. He would get in front of the video camera and he would pull up all of those things, you know, that you, you could suck a golf ball through a garden, yes. all that stuff, which all got added to the to the screenplay. That, yeah. When did you guys know that you had that it was going to be special as a hit? Like when you're done filming, do you know as an actor this is going to be stupid awesome? You or never, no? you never know. You know, I did this show on uh, Netflix called Stranger Things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, For a while, right? It, it's it. We just finished the second season. Yeah. But you never know. You work just as hard on things that are successful as things that, that don't work. You know, you're on, you're on a team. You play your butt off. Mm -hmm. You work really hard. And sometimes you have a winning season. Sometimes you don't. It's not for lack of effort. It's just sometimes you're playing against teams that are better than you. You don't know why something's going to be successful. Now, will you, will you, I'm sorry to interrupt. Will you guys do something like uh, they just did with the, uh, the Living Godfather cast? They went out to the Beacon recently. And they had basically like uh, inside the actor's studio with... Uh -huh. Yeah, you know, I think Robert De Niro was there and Pacino and uh, Duvall. And they had him just kind of walk through the experience of being on the set. Will you guys do something or like a special video release about the 30th or no? Well, I've got a, a diary that I kept while I was making the film. It's called Full Metal Jacket Diary. It was published as a book. 
It was then made into an iPad app, which was used to be fifteen dollars. And for the thirtieth anniversary, you can go if you have an iPad. Sure. Download it for a dollar ninety nine right now. It's kind of like uh, my book. It's it's <laughs> it uh, used to be thirty bucks. Yeah. It's in paperback. <laughs> and and uh, and then uh, I have some friends, Al Giordano and Steve Nardizzi, used to work with the Wounded Warrior Project. They're now working with the Purple Heart Foundation. And I wanted to do something for this thirtieth anniversary. So the photographs that I took on the set of Full Metal Jacket. Mm are going to be auctioned on Paddle 8, which is paddle8.com, to benefit the Purple Heart Foundation. The Purple Heart Foundation. Paddle number 8.com? Paddle The thing that's cool about the Purple Heart, which I didn't know until I started working with them, is that it was something that was uh, created by Washington, George Washington. Was the, the, during the Revolutionary War, he created this Purple Heart for those, those people who had been uh, injured in war. Tell in me battle. about your uncle. And so my uncle was flying. He was on his 17th mission. He was over Europe. He got uh, hit by anti-aircraft, had his crew bail out of the plane. His co-pilot was shot up really bad and he couldn't get out of the plane. So uh, his right arm was almost taken off and he landed his B-17 in a field in France with one arm. And, uh, and uh, he, it was a funny thing about it because he was a Mason. And uh, the doctor was trying to figure out where to cut his arm off. And he had that Masonic ring on his right hand. And he said, don't worry, brother, I'll save your arm. And in a field hospital in France, they, Amazing. they, they cut his hips open huh. and took pieces of bones and put his arm back together. Wow. Well, you talk about the greatest generation. That, that truly was. It said they sacrificed so much for all of us. You know, I was thinking, I, Craig and I were talking about this. When you think of Full Metal Jacket, uh, I think really like a, a version like of a black comedy. You know, there were there were some really it's, funny scenes in yeah. there, and then there were some really sad scenes yeah, in there, and yeah. some really eye-opening scenes in there. I mean, how, how do you how do you characterize the the movie overall? I think that's very good, and it's a big part of you know Stanley Kubrick. He's oftentimes criticized for making very dark films that there's not a lot of humanity in his films, but I think that what he did was hold the mirror up to society and said, "Look, this is what we do. This is what we look like. This is what war looks like." Instead of trying to Paint it in some kind of you know pastel. It wasn't glorified. Not glorified. It was real. It was real. It was dirty. Yeah, and I I think that even with Doctor Strangelove, that the 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 insanity of Doctor Strangelove. I can't remember the whole title of the film. It's uh, How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Is is the full title (laughs) of Doctor Strangelove. But but that's that's something that could really happen. You know the the things that that take place and and uh, the absurdity of war. The Doomsday Machine was something that was very real, and so he said he set out to make a uh, a, 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 a dramatic story about nuclear annihilation, and he said that it was so absurd that there was no way to do it without making it a black comedy. You know, I don't I don't know this. I can only talk to you about it from a, an athletics uh, or an athlete's perspective. Meeting a new coach, and the coach says, "This is what I'm expecting of you. This is how we see you. This is what we want you to accomplish." Did Stanley, does the director do that to the actor when he says, okay, you got the role, this is what I'm trying to get across? Yeah, yeah, he's, he was amazing. I mean, he'd clearly read the acting books. You know, he knew about the Strasberg method. He knew about uh, Stanislavski and Stella Adler. And, and, uh, but he gave me some of the best directions I've ever received in my life. That we, one time we were walking through a field and getting ready to get into a fight, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a you know, combat situation. And he came over and he whispered in my ear. He said, act scared. You know, it's like <laughs> the perfect it. direction because it's so specific. And then there was another time I did a scene. And at the end of it, he said, uh, uh, Matthew, you're not going to do it that way, are you? And 
Say, you know, say no. No, no sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, I'm not going to do it that way. It's about I was just the duality around. of man, right? Yeah. Um, right. The duality yeah. of acting, I guess. One, of the, one of the things yeah. people should know about Stanley Kubrick is he wasn't British because a lot of people think because he was living in England that he right. was British, but he was a, a Jewish kid from the Bronx. They See? wanted to make movies. and Give me a famous role that you turned down. Oh, there's, there's, a, there's a couple. The, the one that's most famous that pe- people like to talk about is Top Gun. Um, but but the one that, that one I want to be Val Kilmer, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was for Tom Cruise's part. Really? Yeah, yeah, Maver- and Maverick. you turned that down? Wow. I did. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't like the script. Um, oh. Yeah, I don't think I would have fit in the plane anyway. You have to be about five, five or five. Six yeah, but we, know, we can't plane. argue with the casting of that one, though. I mean, well, no, Tom Cruise, like young, awesome no Tom, Tom Cruise is fantastic in the film, and he felt that it was a film about uh, you know personal best and individuality, and I. I Read that that's what, and so that was the right oh. thing. Another one was Back to the Future for, for, but they had just fired Eric Stoltz, who was playing the part, and uh, they asked me to replace Eric Stoltz. And I thought, well, I'm I'm too close in temperature to why why, why did you fire Eric Stoltz? And they said that Steven Spielberg's first choice was always Michael J. Fox, and you can't imagine anybody but Michael J. Fox sure, playing that part. I mean, it was written for him. The one that I turned down that was really really stupid was Big. And my wife begged me to do oh, that movie. Yeah, the, the Tom the, Hanks role. The Tom Hanks role. Yeah, and you that turned was really that stupid. down. Yeah. What? Who was yeah. giving you this advice? Yeah. You turned down three billion dollar <laughs> entities. This yeah. makes me so upset. Yeah, you know, it makes you me upset learn. too. But you know what? You live and learn. Yes. Okay, yeah. now, uh, I'm happy to say, you know, I got a movie in the theater right now, and I hope you'll go see it. 47 meters down about sharks. As we've been in the top five the last two weeks. Are you at IPEX in one it's, of those film uh, yeah, places yeah, or yeah. not? 47 meters down. It's about I, these two girls come on my boat. I put them in the water, put some blood in the water so sharks will swim around and they, you know, in a cage so yeah. that they can see sharks. And what happens? The cable breaks, and I drop oh, them like 47 that. meters down or 150 feet down to the bottom of the ocean. And from that point on, it's like. Gravity is like these two people with a bottle of air on their back, 50 minutes of air, right. and 150 feet of water above them that's full of sharks. What do you do? It's really good. It's a really scary movie. You, you push your friend out first, and then, good luck. <laughs> I would go see like, if you like, would go yeah, see yeah, it. I mean, if Craig and I were in the cage together, I would definitely throw him out of that cage first. <laughs> he would bear hug me and show us <laughs> the sharks. Well, I, the, the sharks may not go after you, man. They yeah. may look at you, you as like a whale. Before I let you go, because I have like a bunch oh, of breaks. It's a whale. Stuff. We can't go oh, after that's that. That's funny. Thanks, yeah, okay. um, fat, Do you ever go to a public theater to watch your own movie? Yeah, I saw 47 Meters Down in Westwood, uh, Los Angeles. You just walk in normal, buy a ticket, go in? Yeah, it was so much fun. Listen to the audience scream. Anybody uh, recognize you when you go in there? You go in overacting again. What's going on? Yeah, no. You go in in disguise or just like just kind of walk in? and Just go sit in the back and watch the movie. So nobody says anything. Anybody recognize you there? Yeah, sometimes. sometimes, You go in during the credits, get some popcorn. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I just want to go outside the Lincoln Tunnel. I'm on there. I'm with me and Phil Sims on a big bill board yeah you know and I, I go past the billboard and i look out the window to see if anybody notices it's that i'm in the car next to them yeah. and you still riding the bicycles is that i still a, ride the bicycles yeah i was really happy the bicycle for a day organization that we we, yep. wor- we worked with a whole consortium of people in new york to help get the safe routes to school bicycle lanes the bike share program do you like the city Dude, uh, the only safe route thing? on a bicycle is the west side highway that thing is unbelievable it's unbelievable yeah but even that really yeah. isn't that safe yeah. either yeah and, times. you know, I, I'm really happy about all the accomplishments. And then there's parts of it being a New Yorker that I'm really upset about because there's a lot of people that, that misbehave on bicycles. They don't obey the traffic laws and people get killed and pedestrians get hit by bicyclists, you know. So, you know, 
New York is a wonderful negotiation. It's one of the beautiful things of watching people go down and walking on the sidewalk and not bumping into each other, yeah. not getting in fist fights. It's a beautiful <laughs> thing. But, you know, by, there's some stupid bicyclists out there that... that, that uh, What's the uh, what's the pin on your sh- on your jacket there? Your so that's the Purple Heart oh, Foundation. Yeah, that's the Purple Heart Foundation. I brought you guys a couple. Oh, yeah, of I appreciate yes. it. Yeah, Here's I got, my yeah. final question yeah. for oh, Matt Modine. Yeah. Thank you. I've never asked you this question in all the times we've talked to you. Um, when you do Envision Quest, yes, does Madonna come to the set? Which and- just came out on Blu-ray. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They still, they still do Blu-ray. Blu-ray? Yeah. yeah. When really? Listen. Well. When you do Envision Quest and you're a young, hot teenage actor. And Linda Fiorentino, if I'm not mistaken, is the Carton woman, just right? called me a young, hot teenager. Yeah, you yeah, are, you're yeah. a young, well, hot was. teenager. And back in the day. Here's the question. Does Madonna come to the set and say, you are mine? And does you know, she sing crazy for you to you? She was dating Jelly Bean Benitez at the time. And right. I think that she wanted to marry him. And they were fighting. They were having a big lover spat while they were on the set. And she didn't really give a hoot about anybody that was there except Jelly Bean Benitez. Right. She wanted to sing her two songs and get the hell out of there. And, you know, in those days, she looked like Boy George. She had that kind of similar Boy George, the way her hair and the, 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 the whole look. Did but, you memorize the lyrics, though? Crazy for what year was you. That That'd be 80, what, five? Six, I think. 86, 86 something, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm crazy. I just remember, I got, I got drafted in 84, got picked up by Peter King. You know who that is, the writer for yeah, NBC yeah. or uh, Sports Illustrated? Uh, and I'm playing in my uh, Walkman uh, Madonna tape. And he's he was like, playing Who's like a virgin, right? No, I was playing Borderline. Borderline. Yeah, and he's like, what's this? I said, this is going to be the next big big yeah. thing to hit the music scene. Yeah. And her name's Madonna. And Madonna. sure enough, man, she yeah. So it. Madonna was in my movie. And then by the time Crazy For You became a, a number on. one a number one on. hit, right. yeah. um, she, uh, she, the, the movie got changed. The, the, the foreign title to the movie became not Vision Quest, but Crazy For You. Did and it? people would to come up to me on... and say, oh, you're in the Madonna movie. See? So, yeah. That's well, how... listen, it's good seeing you, man. It's great uh, seeing and you. And it's great that you're supporting uh, the Purple Heart uh, Foundation. You can go to paddle8.com and check out some of the great black and white uh, photos from uh, Full Metal Jacket. It's Matthew Modine. You can see him on a big uh, Netflix show right now as well. And anytime, we'll have to have you come back. We'll see you in the game for sure. Full metal jacket, 30. I can't believe it. We're all getting older. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.